0: So Jesus, take those words and work them into our heart, work them into our lives in a way that they become much more than words. Uh, They really become that salt and that light that show your love. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you, uh, it, uh, though Katie and I are uh, usually here most Sundays, kind of sitting around there, it's often dark in here, and we all kind of, you know, go out at the same time, and so uh, you may not have heard the good news that we're expecting baby number three in September, which is pretty cool. Uh, I can't take full credit for it, but I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and some of you have even asked, you know, what, what, uh, do you have a name yet? Um, by the way, it's going to be a little girl. We've got two boys, and now we got our girl. Pretty exciting. Very thankful um, for genetic engineering. Um, we've got, we finally, you know, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. A lot of people were there. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But a lot of people asked her, uh, you know, do we have a name for her yet? And, and both Katie and I love those, like those biblical names that really mean something. They've got a real meaning and history behind them. And so uh, it's, it's kind of a toss-up between these two. We'll see what you think. Uh, one idea is third and final. <laughs> you know, There's some uh, meaning there, some depth there. And uh, the other choice might be no more after this one. <laughs> um, so anyway, we'll keep playing with it. Uh, thank you, uh, honestly, for celebrating with us. We're very excited about that. We're in a series called Handcrafted. Handcrafted in a fast food world. And the idea is that the best things in life take time. The best things take time. You can't microwave deep relationships. You can't fast forward reconciliation. You can't snap your fingers and get more loving all of a sudden. The best things in life take time. And this message, I'm calling it The Road Back to You. Because becoming the person that God made you to be is a road. It's a journey. It takes time. Perhaps it takes a lifetime in many ways. And I stole that title, The Road Back to You. I'd like to think I was clever enough to come up with it. I'm not. I stole it from a new book by a favorite author of mine, Ian Morgan Cron, because I love that imagery of this road, this journey. The Road Back to You is a journey toward greater and greater wholeness, toward greater and greater flourishing, or to borrow a word from Pastor John Ortberg, it's the journey of you becoming you more you, God's best version of you. Now to be clear, I'm not talking about self-obsession. Our culture is self-obsessed. I tend towards self-obsession. Maybe you can resonate with that. Um, We're obsessed with the way we look, and the way we act, and the cars that we drive, and the zip codes that we have, and all these things that are just kind of preening and primping and try to, you know, look a certain way for each other. But if my journey ends and begins, begins and ends with, with just me, then no, I'm, I'm lost. I lose. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world, to have it all, but to lose their soul? We can't redeem ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Self-obsession is a dead end. So I'm not talking about trying to realize your full, pot- full potential by, by getting in touch with your inner tween, right? I'm not talking about seeking enlightenment at a Tony Robbins conference or finding your spirit animal. Mine is a hedgehog, by the way. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Our culture is about me, me, me. So if we're, just, if we're just talking about me, aren't we following along? No. We're, we're not talking about the you that you're building, the, the you that this, this image you're trying to create and present for others. We're talking about the you that God has created in his image, that he is handcrafted, is handcrafting to be a unique demonstration of his love to the world. A part of God's love that can only uniquely be expressed in you, through you. Because you were created on purpose for a purpose. We say that all the time around here. It's not an accident that you're alive at this particular time in history. Not an accident that you have your particular set of gifts, relationships, opportunities, talents. It's not an accident. God has created you on purpose for a purpose. And so much of that purpose, so much of that road back to you, Involves what we're about to talk about. But before I get there, here's why this road back to you is so critical. Because again, we can can sort of fall into self-obsession and and just self-help. This isn't self-help. Here's why it's so important. Because your ability to accept others and their brokenness and their imperfectness is directly connected to your ability to accept yourself and all your brokenness and all your flaws. Your ability to reconcile, to to bring uh, reconciliation is directly connected to the reconciliation work that you've done inside with all the stuff that's boiling inside of you. This journey is so critical because as we find God's healing and God's wholeness, our healing and our wholeness become healing and wholeness for others. It just happens that way. It's out of the overflow of our becoming more whole that other people are made whole. You are the salt, says Jesus. You're the salt, meant to bring out the God flavors. I love that imagery. The God flavors in a very bland, ugh, kind of world at times. Or you're light, meant to bring out the God colors in the world, a richness, a depth to the picture that isn't there unless we're demonstrating God's love. Jesus said he made us to stand out from the crowd in a way that an ancient city would stand out on a hill at night, surrounded by dark desert. It's candles, it's torches shining bright. Stand out like that. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And the world desperately needs you to become God's best version of you because you are God's mean for demonstrating God's love. Which is kind of wonderful and kind of terrifying, right? I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I have got a few issues that I need to continue to work through. My wife would agree. Um, But how does that happen? How do we participate in that idea of this becoming God's best version of ourselves? If it's not just self-help, if it's not just going to sort of, you know, dissolve down into just contemplating our belly buttons, like, uh, how does this process work? How do we participate without stumbling into self-obsession? Well, there's a lot of ways we can do it, but today I just want to focus on one in particular. And it's a simple idea that I learned from a friend a while back. Because when I was in my late 20s, I was a worship leader for a college ministry in California. And my, uh, my boss was this young and uh, talented and exceedingly good-looking uh, man named Scott Dudley. <laughs> He's in the Tri-Cities with his family right now, so just kind of play along if you would. He might be watching online. Um... <laughs> So and I felt so bad for Scott because uh, he, basically his staff was made up of, of angsty 20-somethings like myself, right? Who were just we're struggling to figure out ourselves and figure out our lives and what we're going to do, and we're groaning about how the church was broken and the students that we served never appreciated us the way we deserved, and how it was so hard living there in one of the most beautiful and affluent places in the entire world that, ah, uh, we were just being very millennial about the whole thing, really. Um... I said that as a Gen -er. Xer. And then I felt like especially flawed, especially unworthy, because I had moved to this this area uh, serving these Stanford students, these really smart kids uh, um, from from like near Modesto, California. If you know that area, it is kind of Tri-Cities-ish, richly, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but let's be honest. So um, (laughs) it's not Stanford. So... um, I felt like a fish out of water, or, or like a fish from you know, outer space. It's just, I didn't fit. I didn't feel like I fit very much. And so Scott often had to pull me aside and remind me that it's gonna be all right. I'm gonna be okay, you know, because of you know, Jesus. I had to be reminded of that constantly. But at some point, I really did seem to be stuck in a pit that I couldn't get out of on my own. I was stuck. Years before, my mom had died after a long, debilitating disease. I moved so many times growing up that I I just had no sense of place, of personhood, no clear sense of self. At the time, I had recently been engaged, and that had unraveled about eight weeks before the wedding date. I was just kind of Swiss cheese walking around, like just full of holes, full of pain. My pain had accumulated like barnacles on the bottom of a boat. This guy, being the great mentor he is, took me to coffee to kind of talk about some of these things. And after 45 minutes of me kind of lamenting and pouring out my heart and uh, him sincerely listening, he sort of gently interrupted me and and said 10 words that genuinely changed the trajectory of my life. Like, no kidding, changed my life. He said, Jesse, it's time to be a good steward of your pain." It's time to be a good steward of your pain. In other words, it's time to stop running around like a chicken with its head cut off, asking why, God, why me? It's an important question, but we don't want to get stuck on that question. It's time to turn and face your pain, to own your stuff so you can get over it, so you can get on with life, so you can become more free in your expression of God's love. That stuff is getting in the way of God's light shining through you. So it's time to be a good steward of your pain. And when I heard those words, I was just struck right in the center of my heart, as some of you just were. Because I knew I had been running from my pain. I'd been hiding from my fears. I'd been trying to, you know, just take the stuff that wasn't quite working and just push it down, keep moving, if I can just keep moving. Keep moving. But none of that had worked. I'd only gotten more stuck, and now I was desperate. And in my desperation, those words rang loud and clear and true. It's time to be a good steward of your pain. Now, I know that for some of you today, that does resonate deeply, and you're in that desperate place. You get it. You don't need any explanation. That's probably enough. We could just sit there for a while. Others of us aren't there right now, then just write those things down. Keep them for That day that you will feel that, experience that. Because this this pain looks all kinds of different ways. It might be that very clear loss, that heavy grief from losing a loved one. From losing a job, from, from missing out on something you were hoping for so much. It might be just frustration with how your life is. Discouragement with where you find yourself. Discouragement with your intimacy with Jesus, with others. I don't know what that pain looks like, but it's time, it's time to be a good steward of that pain. Because so much of how we become the person God uniquely created us to be has to do with how we deal with our pain and the losses and those missed opportunities and those regrets. We've all got our stuff. I've got stuff. You've got stuff. And in the process of following Jesus, we all need to unpack the stuff, sort through our stuff, and throw away some of our stuff because that stuff has been getting in the way of us being salt and light. It's been getting in the way. It's like a a, a light surrounded with, like in a dirty glass jar, just all smudged up and stuff. The, The light cannot come through in the same way that if it were clean, if it were transparent, if you could see through it easily, that light would shine bright. And very often the unresolved stuff in our life becomes that clogging up that blocks the light. It's getting in the way of you becoming God's best version of you. Now, God, as he's, he's doing this work in us, as we're participating with him in, in owning this stuff, of kind of turning and facing our stuff, of being honest, like, yeah, I'm discouraged, or I'm frustrated, or I'm really still grieving this or that. In the midst of that, he, he doesn't want to turn us into somebody new, uh, like, like different, I mean. He doesn't want to turn us into somebody different. He doesn't want to exchange us for another kind of person. He wants to redeem the exact person that we are. Just the way we are, only more so. Before the apostle Paul met Jesus, he was a brilliant, passionate zealot who persecuted people. After Paul met Jesus, he was a brilliant, passionate zealot who sacrificed himself for people. Same guy. Same gifts, same passions, same wiring, more so, redeemed, not exchanged. That's what God wants for you. And isn't that what we all want deep down? More freedom. Freedom for those insecurities that tie us up. Freedom for the grief that that is real, that needs to be dealt with, but that is so heavy. Freedom to just shine. To not be so caught up with ourselves that we we don't just shine. Well, after that coffee meeting and after letting uh, Scott's words sink a little more deeply over the next few days, um, I, I started thinking about this a lot, and, and I decided to call a therapist whose number I had gotten from a friend uh, that I'd sort of kept in my wallet for a couple months. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It's probably important. It's not important. Probably important. I should do it. Nah. Um, finally called. Therapy became a key way that God used to help bring healing and wholeness in my life. That might be right for you. Might not, but it might be. We've got some incredible resources here on our own church campus, uh, just right up at the fourth floor. The Samaritan Center is an is a, uh, organization we partner with and support, and uh, just some incredible, well-trained therapist counselors up there encourage you to think about whether that might be a good next step for you. Another thing I did was join a small group, and that was really tough for me, um, as it maybe has been tough for you at times. Uh, like many of you, I struggle with intimacy and being vulnerable and just people seeing flaws, and I prefer that they, they didn't do that so much. And uh, in addition, I was, I was the only like, non-Stanford grad in, in this little group. Right? I'd come from my little my podunk church in my podunk town. I still wore flip-flops. And, um, <laughs> But I'd be doing that right now if I had clipped my toenails. Um, that's for Scott. Um, like I, I was just really insecure. I didn't fit in. But I wanted to fit in, but I didn't fit in. And it was there that I really discovered that people are pretty much all the same. We're pretty much all the same. We all have the same kinds of struggles. And maybe it looks different, and maybe it looks more polished or or not, but it's all the same stuff. And this is a very affirming, validating thing. It's a way that God used to restore me, to show his love to me more clearly and through me more clearly. That me too experience God wants to use in your life. And so I encourage you, that might be a step for you in being a good steward of your pain. To to get involved in a small group or, or with a couple of other people or just to share with somebody what's going on. That me too is part of how God heals us, makes us more like us. The other thing I did, I spent a lot of time writing my experience down that's a natural way of expression for some of you. For, for others of you, it's not, so don't worry about that. But I wrote a lot of things down and, and very often would have an opportunity to share that just in over coffee or, um, you know, in a setting like this and, and just kind of talk about the story. It's, it's amazing the power of talking about our story because it, we find out that all that spe- specific, really unique stuff is actually very universal and very relatable to everybody. But as I was vulnerable with people that they started to open up as well. They started to unpack some of their stuff. In fact, my therapist got a ton of business from me. Um, I did a lot of referring and go, oh, you know who you should talk to is not me, but um, God wants us to become good stewards of our pain because first of all, he wants us to thrive. He wants us to experience that full life. But part of what that means to be fully alive is to be able to share that, to give that away to others. So he longs for us to be made whole. He longs for us to flourish. My friend John, we'll call him John because that's his name. My friend John, he, he was this burnt out youth pastor uh, working in Monterey. He was this burnt out youth pastor and um, he loved working with the students. But he hated being part of the church, the particular church that he was serving at. Just felt very broken there. He had this deep heart for justice. Felt like his church didn't care about justice at all. They just want to keep the programs going. And at some point he just couldn't take it. He just got way too angsty and too much like, no, I I can't buy this anymore. I can't be be fully the person God made me to be and, and continue to serve in this role. So he quit. I ran into him not long after that, met him for the first time, and both Katie and I got to know him and his wife uh, pretty well during a a summer of all serving together at a summer camp. And during that summer camp, he he was asking a lot of those questions, those hard questions, looking for answers, looking for healing, like, should I even, should I just give up on the church? Should I be done with this? Well, over the course of that time, God, God led him to start seminary, to actually train to become someone who can better serve the church. Not as a as a pastor, like in, a, in kind of a traditional pastoral role, but as someone who brings this heart of justice in a way that nobody else can. It was there in seminary that he got connected to another friend of ours through some random like they didn't know each other. We knew both of them through different worlds. They got connected. They both had this deep heart for justice, especially for those uh, um, who feel like aliens in this particular country. Uh, for the Middle East and all that was going on there. So they got together and they formed this thing called the Global Immersion Project. Global Immersion Project. And, and what they do is basically take folks to train them for a year and then take them over the Middle East for a couple of weeks and actually, like this is not a tour of any kind, like stay in their friends' homes, these deep friendships they've made over there with, with friends on both sides of the struggle. Train them and equip them. They also speak all over the country, all over the world really, equipping churches all kinds of churches, to better understand the struggles we have with reconciliation, how to go about that. How do we do that as individuals? How do we do that as a community? It's incredible the opportunities they've gotten. He's now writing his fourth book. He's like mid-30s, young 30s, writing his fourth book on this subject. Incredible things are happening. He and Jer, who formed this company, uh, they've been to the White House several times informing na- nas- you know, state leaders, nation leaders about this topic. It's incredible. What's happened? The the light that has begun to shine, the, the stuff that is spreading around because John said, okay, okay. I'm broken, I'm burnt out. God made the church for some reason. He made me have this heart for some reason. And in that journey of healing, in that journey of becoming more and more whole, some incredible things came out of that, continued to come out of that. This is what happens. This is what happens when we decide to be good stewards of our pain. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's world-changing, actually. It's not just, oh, we feel a little bit better, better about ourselves. It actually changes the world. I think it was St. Irenaeus who was quoted as saying, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. God intends for you to be fully alive. Fully alive. He intends to demonstrate his love to the world through your fully aliveness. And so today's the day. And pretend we're at coffee right now and I'm saying to you, it's time to be a good steward of your pain. Because God has so much healing for you and so much healing for the world through you. So maybe we do that with light and joyful hearts because it's his to carry. Would you pray with me? Jesus, God, we we wouldn't even know we had a need uh, unless you first approached us, unless you demonstrated a love that was so powerfully, wonderfully different from what we'd experienced that that we'd crave it, we'd want it. Uh, Jesus, there are people um, listening now who are in that desperate place and need some clear next steps. Would you give that to them? Especially would you give them companions in the journey. God, thank you. The, you are the one who initiates this journey. You are the one who carries it. And you have promised to complete it. And so we don't have to be obsessed with getting ourselves together. It's never been the point. We can turn wholly to you and to, to be able to say it is well because of you. So thank you, Jesus, that you are this great healer. And it is through much of this work that you bring your light and your love. Thank you that you would even want such good things for us and for those around us. We love you and say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.